I just think it's a brilliant way to end the movie. This is the perfect way to do it because rather than summing up the message, you're summing up the antithesis of the message. What is up, Story Geeks? It's Daryl. We are geeks, we admit it, we own it, and we love science fiction, fantasy, and comic books. Which is why we dig deeper into the characters, plot lines, and themes that appear in geek stories like The Incredibles. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a good one. I'm Jay. And Daryl and I would love for you to join our conversation. Leave us a comment on our blog, Podbean, or YouTube, or send us an email at thestorygeeks at gmail.com. And really quick, before you forget, click that subscribe button. Then let us know what you're listening to by commenting or shooting us an email. We'd love to meet you electronically. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. That's right. And as I mentioned quickly earlier, today we're going to dig deeper into The Incredibles as we kind of look forward and anticipate The Incredibles 2 coming out in June. So um, this is a great movie. We're really excited to talk about it tonight. And we realized we can't properly talk about a Disney movie like this without inviting our good buddies from Network 1901 to join us. So our guests today are Josh and Angie Taylor from Network 1901. Say hello, guys. Hey, that's us. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Tell everybody, I mean, those who listen to this show probably know you guys by now, but refresh everybody's memory. Tell them about Network 1901. Network 1901 is uh, a network. There's four of us, actually, myself and Angie, and then uh, Dale and Shannon, who have also been on Story Geeks before. Uh, this is Angie's first kind of official podcast, even though she was That's on the right. live show. Yeah. <laughs> I was on talking about Back to the Future before, but we typically do uh, Disney, Pixar, Star Wars, uh, Marvel, kind of everything under that umbrella. In fact, our logo is an umbrella with a castle on top to kind of signify that. Uh, but we do three podcasts and three videos a week over at network1901.com. And you have new podcast art. New podcast art. Yeah, yeah, just put that out. Uh, so if you were subscribed on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen, don't be alarmed. We just changed the artwork. <laughs> yeah. We find it to be more like kind of punk rock uh, vibing. Yeah, and our, and our uh, our full-time job is actually modernmouseboutique.com where we sell... We're going to say accessories. We actually sell a lot of mousier headbands, but we're actually making a lot of changes to the shop right now. So we're selling a lot of general accessories for Disney fans. Yeah, definitely check them out. They're awesome. And it's great stuff. I'm pretty sure that as we speak, my wife is on your website ordering <laughs> some stuff right now. So. My wife already has a pair of them too. And I have, one, I have two of the hats yeah. that you guys sell, which is awesome. There you go. All right. Well, hey, why don't we just start diving into our questions here? Um, so first, just a little bit of context about how The Incredibles sort of fits into this whole world of geek culture that we all love. So it came out in 2004, which was before Batman Begins. It was before the MCU. It was before the height of the superhero movie craze. Yeah, there's, it was there's probably some people movie. listening that were like, before the MCU? What is that? Yeah, that, that was a thing. <laughs> that did exist. Um, I think the only... I'll probably get some flack for saying this, but I think the only legit superhero movies that had come out recently before this were X-Men, X2, and the first Spider-Man movie from Sam Raimi. <laughs> Other than that, I think you have to go all the way back to Burton's Batman in 89. Mm. 
Yeah. That's so, crazy, right? Yeah, I, I, people might hate me for saying that. I'm ruling out a whole lot of stuff in between. This is, there, so this, you said 2004, right? 2004. I, so I was just graduated from college then. Well, I, I graduated in 2003, so about a year, mm. about a year later. All right. How about that? Cool, cool. <laughs> so my question here is... You're like um, useless facts from Jay. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, just how do you guys feel that The Incredibles contributed to the superhero movie trend? Josh, I'm going to throw this one at you first. Yeah, man. I think The Incredibles... I think of it first as like a great animated film with it pushed boundaries. You know, they had to figure out how to do water. They had to figure out how to do hair. Uh, and of course, like now you see the previews for the second Incredibles, and you're like, oh, they just wasted away yeah. everything that they did previously. <laughs> it looks so much better. But uh, I would say the animation of this film is great. And, you know, being able to tell a superhero story, they told the Fantastic Four story the right way. Seriously. And yeah. it, it shows that maybe the Fantastic Four should have been an animated film because it just is what the genre needed. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that any animated superhero film has touched it to that point. And that includes all the Batman uh, yeah. animated films and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I think it does contribute. It does pull a little bit from X-Men, but you can even see now that some of the films pull a little bit from the Incredibles and that kind of family dynamic. Totally. And just the trend of showing who these characters are behind their behind superhero the personas. Right. So, Angie, what do you think? Yeah, and it really it really focuses on that like team coming together and how their powers and their specialties work together better than if they were just singular people. It's a very uh, Captain Planet answer of you. Yeah, <laughs> Full the Trump. powers yeah. unite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the first Captain Planet reference on the show. <laughs> Are there going to be Might more? Be the last. There should be. There should <laughs> be. Oh, last. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Jay, what do you think? Oh uh, no, I agree. I think it's one of the, so at the time. I think it's one of the highest quality superhero movies. If we're yes. looking at the quality yeah. metric of them, I think it's one of the highest of that time. Still, All, still, yeah, still, I, yeah. I agree with that. All of the characters have arcs. Um, like the normal Pixar story, it's phenomenal story. And it's relatable yeah. to most people. It's incredibly creative, especially in how the characters, like Angie kind of was talking about this, how the characters use their powers. Like there was, these, there was several moments where I'm like, I would have never thought to do that with that character, but it fits perfectly. Like yeah. they totally should have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think actually one of the most um, interesting things to me is that coming out in 2004, comparative to now, this introduced a whole bunch of kids to superhero films. Mm-hmm. Like, cause so kids who would not have seen maybe, uh, you know, X-Men cause they weren't old enough yet or something. Yeah. This introduced them and the MCU just ushered in like more of that. Yeah. So what about you? I like what you said about the powers because I know you say you hadn't seen powers used like that before. To me, I think I had, but in comics. And yeah. so I feel like Incredibles really pulled some of what I love about comics mm. better than a lot of other superhero movies before it. That's awesome. Um, and it has a special place in my heart, too, just as a parent, because my son loves this movie. And, you know, as as a parent, you always kind of want to be your son's hero, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm not the best dad in the world. But I 
I do the best I can. He has never said, Daddy, you're Iron Man, or Daddy, you're Batman. Right. But he has called me Mr. Incredible so many times. <laughs> that's a, that's a feel-good moment. It is. So I also that's think awesome. this is a testament. This movie is a testament to Brad Bird and how much of a fan he is of things, right? Like, Iron Giant was really, like, his ode mm, to yeah. sci-fi, things like that in the past. This was his ode to superheroes and, and comic books. Yeah. Because you're right. Like, this was a comic book movie. It wasn't a superhero movie. Like, like Tim Burton's Batman is nothing comic booky about it. It feels right. real. Mm-hmm. And even Nolan's, you know, feels... I mean, everybody agrees it feels extremely realistic. Yeah. Uh and Spider-Man, they tried to make real. Whether or not they succeeded in that, I don't know. X-Men tries to feel real. This feels like a fun comic book adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what I feel like the MCU does. Yes. I also think it's interesting what Daryl said. His son calls him Mr. Incredible. And thinking about, like, Batman, like, what does that name even mean? It just means he's a, a Batman, yeah. I guess. <laughs> but, like, to say yeah. you're incredible... Like, that word in itself means so much. It doesn't hurt to hear. Yeah. <laughs> also, talk about great merchandising. Like, oh, all they needed yeah. to do was a T-shirt with that emblem on yeah. it. Yeah. And, like, right after that film came out, almost every dude I knew, boy to, like, grandfather, was, like, buying that Incredible shirt and wearing yeah. it around because they wanted to be Mr. Incredible. Yeah. And kids wanted to be Dash. Yeah. And that's the other thing about the movie, too, is it's, it's universality. It's super universal, which I feel like most of the Marvel movies have tried to, ma- to maintain. But we see, nowadays, we sort of see the rest of the superhero genre drifting away from that and mm-hmm. trying to make things that are more genre-specific and, yes. you know, your horror movies and your romantic comedies and things like that within the superhero bubble. So it's nice to have the universal, I think. Um, let's move on here. So in The Incredibles, you know, one of the big, the reason that all of the supers, as they call them, disappear is because everybody sort of turns on them, right? They realize, oh, we can sue these people. We can exploit them. We can, you know, we can gain from them. We don't really need them. And I'm just curious if we had these types of superheroes in the real world, do you guys think people would turn on them like that? Do you think society would turn on them? Angie, what do you think? Oh, I think so, 100% yes. I think one of the biggest motivators is fear. And I can just Mm. imagine what would be on the news. This is actually a pretty common theme in a lot of comic book. You know, X-Men has it. Um, We see it in the MCU, like the... The The Sokovia Accords. Yeah, exactly. And then... Which in the comics is the Superhero Registration Act. Right. And and Mm -hmm. so we see all of this kind of thing play out. And... We see it in the real world too, right? We're afraid of what is unfamiliar. And it is kind of logical that eventually, you know, gene splicing and all this other stuff, like naturally uh, we would continue to kind of get better as people. Like we've gotten taller as people realistically, factually. So why would we not, you know, be able to like, I don't know, turn into water or a stretch or something like that, like over time, yeah. if you're looking at Darwinism. So... Uh, I don't know. Like, it could be a possibility, and it, you know, takes it on. It's the much friendlier version of the Watchmen, I feel like. (laughs) You know, it's the most family-friendly version of Watchmen. That's a good point. Yeah. I think I'm in agreement. I think that there's no question that 
we're in such a polarized world right now. I mean, with social media the way it is, we're not having like legit conversations. We're just ranting about stuff on social media. Yeah. As I say this all the time, but um, and so all it would take is one moment of it not work of the, of them doing the wrong thing mm-hmm. for it to crumble. Totally. Right? And like Angie said, fear is such a powerful motivator that it'd be like, what if these people did other stuff? So I think it's 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 very realistic because, well, let's put it this way. I think we've actually seen it happen time and time again. And for the most part, I think it's been legitimately a good thing. When we'll see co- corporations or governments get too powerful, um, fortunately in, in, in the United States, democracy is sort of even that out to a bit in, yeah. in our favor, globally speaking, in our favor. So some other countries could be like, <laughs> America sucks, but, <laughs> but it's been beneficial to us. But um, I think over time, some of those things get worked out. But yeah, it's yeah. no doubt that this would happen. I just want to point out in that, that like, it feels like, and this is kind of the same, again, like with the registration, all that across the board, this feels like a sense of prohibition. Yes. Right? Mm. And what we've learned from the prohibition from the 30s with alcohol is that people will uh, still do it. No question. You know, yeah. and we see that in the Incredibles that like Incredible and Frozone continue moonlighting because it's yeah. like they need it. Like it is their drug, it is their fix. And so I feel like if we were ever in the real world to have a superhero situation and we prohibited it, there would be so many superheroes in jail right now <laughs> <laughs> because they would all be moonlighting. Yeah. Uh, it's like what Jay said, um, everybody's always having to, like, pick sides. And it's like your arguments with each other are always these, like, straw man arguments where you're basically, like, the you're, you're creating a situation and using that argument as if it actually already happened. Hmm. But it's a situation that actually hasn't happened yet, and you're using that as, like, your way to defend your side. And, like, that always ends up happening. So people would always be like, well, what if this? What if that? And that's when people, I think, begin to um, really suppress what somebody is talented at. Like, you're taking people who really shine and excel in one field or one thing, and when you suppress them, it leads to times like the Dark Ages, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I think to that point, like to both your points, it seems like regulation and accountability would be really good here, but pro, like prohibition, like you said, we've been taught that lesson, right? Like right. Prohibition is does is, not work. Does not work, and so what you what you create is every time you you create something like that, every time you create like a pro like complete prohibition, you create black markets. Mm-hmm. And so in this country, even right now, we're running some experiments with the legalization of marijuana. And I'm very curious to see how that plays out down the road, because currently the way we've treated some of the uh, prohibition type of scenarios in the United States right now has led to systemic issues, especially for certain types of people, minorities, for example. Yes. Much higher incarceration rates. A lot of that's related to prohibited substances. Um, and it's not fair because the people who have money still use those substances and with no consequences, whereas some of the uh, minorities are do not experience that level of, uh, what do you want to call it, freedom, I guess you'd say. So, And it's definitely not equal. So 
regulation seems to be a better solution in this kind of sense than prohibition would be. Also, to think that the Incredibles are a middle-class family. They're not a higher-end. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they would be that target. Yep. Yep, exactly. Do you think... I mean, I, I agree. I think, obviously, people would turn on them. But as I'm thinking about it now, I'm wondering, would it start that way, or would they actually have a good period? Like, would there be a period of time where people are like, this is awesome, we all love you? Like, would they even have the opportunity to be the heroes, or would people just reject it right off the bat? So, real-world example. And I'm going to instantly make Josh mad when I say this. <laughs> Not because he's going to agree he's going to agree with me, but I, as soon as I say the names, he's going to go he's going to go berserk. The Paul brothers. Logan and Logan and Jake oh. Paul, right? <laughs> Instant Fury. Um, me too. The point being we go, here's YouTube. Use it however you want to. And then mm. we watch how people start to use it and we go, holy shit, like well, you, you can't use it like that. But were those guys really heroes ever to begin with? I mean, weren't they doing they stupid the, stuff from they, the beginning? But they are the face to a lot of people who are not YouTube. Yeah. Like, when the news covers YouTube news, like, first of all, one of the things that's uh, in, in my mindset is that, you, and for a lot of people who are in YouTube, is that YouTube is the new TV yeah. for, for a younger audience. Sure. For an older audience, like, when you watch the, you know, 9 o'clock news, they treat YouTube as if it's like some kids thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. But a lot of shows on YouTube are getting more views and making more money than shows on ABC on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. And you look at late night talk shows and stuff. And they're if, drowning. If they, if they don't embrace YouTube, they die. They're drowning yeah. if they don't embrace it. And so when the news covers YouTube and all these people who really rely on YouTube and it's a really great platform – a Jimmy Kimmel's relying on it or, you know, like Jimmy Fallon. But then you've also got all these little guys who came up um, like uh, Philip DeFranco, who's a news guy. He does a whole new show every day on YouTube, etc. And then they cover Logan Paul finding like a dead body in the forest. And that's the only thing they ever cover about YouTube. That is obviously the face that they've planted on YouTube. Yeah. And it sucks for everybody else. But I'm talking like heroes, like like but the Paul take, brothers were never out there saving lives and sure, right. helping people, right? We they were just, just acting like idiots on YouTube. YouTube is kind of a new sensation. And the first thing that people are really realizing about it, the first big face of YouTube is this real shitty guy. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> so you would think that in the scheme of things, because we're, we like to point out bad people over good people. So yeah, mm, when their yeah. superheroes would come out, there would definitely be a plethora of really great superheroes. It would take one guy yeah, to yeah. mess something up so badly, so quickly, yeah. that it would all get shut down. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Angie. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, there's always like somebody who's going to mess it up, and that's a great example for YouTube. But I think, like as far as the heroes go, like everybody loves a good hero story, especially when it's a very personal story. So like somebody's going to want to hear the story about some you know, big burly guy that saves the little kitten over like maybe somebody who stops like a terrorist attack or something. So you would probably start to hear all these like little stories about all this feel good stuff. And people would be like, oh, it's like so good to have people like this in the world. Like this is the type of people that make everybody else want to change and do good. And then you'd start to have 
the stories turning to like those bigger stories. And then I wonder if from there it would actually, we'd start to expect it from people and we would stop like thinking of them as like one of a kind heroes. And we would start to be like, what's their job? Like where was, where was Mr. Incredible when this was happening? You know? Yeah. I think the movie showcases this too, because, because of what happens with syndrome. In In other words, I think a lot of people start out with an intrinsically decent or good motivation. We're all doing YouTube. We're all doing podcasts. Mm -hmm. We have intrinsically good motivations for doing that. But when all of a sudden you say your livelihood is based off views and you go, well, I get more views when I do something crazy controversial Mm -hmm. and then I get more money when I do that. Yeah. Like, so it starts out with like, okay, this is, this is, um, an altruistic way to do things. But because we're all human beings, we're not perfect. And pretty soon we start to make mistakes because we're now chasing after something that maybe we weren't even originally. Because Syndrome's original purpose was to be Mr. Incredible's buddy. He's yeah. sidekick. Yeah. And, and now he just kind of wants to be known as, you know. Exactly. The, as Syndrome. I think, uh, yeah, it takes, you. there's something that always gets created. In this case, it would be, the fact that all of a sudden we now have people with superpowers in our world, it wouldn't take very long before we started exploiting it. Whether people started experimenting on these people mm-hmm. or whether or not we start going the Iron Man route and trying to like build stuff or we start recruiting these people for a you know world war. You, there's a, tons of different exploitive ways we could go with people with super strength, flying ability, stretching, etc., and it would just go downhill really fast. Yeah. These people would not be saving kittens every day. Right. Yeah. They would become super soldiers. Yes. Yeah, no question. And it's so weird to think of it now because in our reality, you know, we don't have these superpowers and stuff like that. So right now, there are people that are out there dressing up in costumes and going out at mm-hmm. night and trying to help people. Like, I don't do that. What? <laughs> I'm not talking about you. <laughs> but there are people out there. You see them, you know, you see them on the news or you see them on YouTube or whatever and the first thing we automatically think of is, oh, that person's mentally ill or that person's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't really do that. Like, it's a joke. Like, no one takes them seriously. Yeah. Have, um, have you guys seen the documentary uh, Cartel Land? No. no. Oh, it's crazy intense. It looked like it was going to bum me out. It does. Bu- it bums you out, but you, you get this sense of, like, you get a sense of what uh, being a vigilante does. Because there's these towns in Mexico, these small towns, that that the cartels come in and basically just take over. And so the documentary is about this town that says, like, forget it. We don't trust the police. We're going we're gonna to do our own town thing. But then some of the things that they have to sacrifice and some of the rationale that they have to sacrifice those things for. So there's a point in the, in the film where they capture one of the cartel guys. And these people go, like, this guy rolls up. He's like the leader guy, right? And the leader guy is like, yeah, so where is this guy? And, and the people that captured him are like, well, we let him go. Like he said he wouldn't do it anymore. He said he wouldn't bother us. And the leader guy pulls him aside and tries to get away from the cameras, but they still have him on audio. And he's like, you kill those guys every single time. Oh he's like, God. if you don't, that dude comes back and kills one of us, guaranteed. Wow. And you're just like, what in the world? <laughs> and then the complexity of life comes in because at the end of the film – you start to see some of the moral failures of the guy who's been standing up to all the cartels and you're like, 
who becomes Everybody's the villain. Everybody's a bad guy. Yeah, right. exactly. Mm. It's it's a very good documentary. If it's you a, if you like documentaries, yeah. I highly yeah. recommend it. It's the Punisher mentality. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna change our order a little bit here because we started going down a route talking about syndrome. So I'm gonna go to one of our questions that wasn't gonna be for later. Um, so we talked about syndrome being kind of the neglected fanboy who grows up to become the villain. Um, and I, one of the quotes from he says in the movie is, see, now you respect me because I'm a threat. That's the way it works. So I feel like we're seeing that a lot in our world today. Oh, absolutely. That's like a North Korea mentality. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's not even a North Korea mentality. I think that happens anytime that somebody is shooting down a school or, you know, any of these kind of like huge situations. We've created a system in mass media that we now show, like, if you do something so extremely bad, your face will be on every single news channel for at least a week. Yeah. And everyone will know your name. I grew up um, in Littleton, Colorado, living, uh, I mean, like, less than a few miles away from Columbine High School. Yeah. I will never forget that day that Columbine shooting happened. I will never forget the two shooters, their faces and their names on every TV, every night. Like, they'll be infamous. So the only way to fight that is to, like, get rid of the names, get rid of the faces. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, Syndrome's right. Like, as soon as he becomes the villain and as soon as he topples one of the biggest heroes in the world, of course he's going to be famous. Yeah. See, but he, I think, like, Syndrome actually says that basically fear equals respect. And I don't think that that's a true statement. I think fear can present itself as respect. Or, like, you know, if you fear somebody, it can seem as if you respect them. But really, you're reacting to the fact that they are unpredictable. So you're treating them with kind of care because you don't know how they're going to react. Hmm. Yeah. It's not, it's not a reverent fear. Yeah. I mean, it's like the same thing with, um, they talk about like with wolves. Um, they've, you know, they've studied wolves in captivity and how they act with each other. And they, you always hear that term alpha, the alpha male. And they found that in captivity, wolves will kind of like, um, appoint their own leader and that's often what we we hear as like the alpha and the alpha it you know creates fear and then but you know bites the other wolves necks and it puts them in their place but really like wolves in the wild their structures aren't that way and we're a lot we have like very similar structures to the way that wolf family units work where we actually respect somebody for being an authority figure as like um, like somebody who's a teacher and somebody who loves us and treats us with kindness and somebody we can trust and we respect them because they're predictable and they've like they have our best interests in mind. So I think that's the difference between respect and fear. Hmm. I think too that there's this um, I, I agree actually with both of what you guys have said for sure. Um, I think that there's an intrinsic, we need to value ourselves intrinsically because other people, especially people who don't know us well, oftentimes only 
value us based on what we can do for them or the merit we bring to a society. Mm-hmm. And so I think you get these attitudes where it's like, if people have been bullied, like you're talking about, Josh, their response is, oh, yeah, I'll show you. Like, I'll show you how you can value me. I'll be the most famous person in, in the world for like a week or whatever it is, right? And I think we th- we turn into that. It's kind of like the same thing with the, with the Paul brothers we're talking about. Like, when you don't in- intrinsically value yourself and you're chasing after something you think other people want from you, you can turn into a monster because you're no longer going after what what is intrinsically valuable about yourself. You're trying to find other people who will value you for doing something crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Society is telling us to value very specific things. And if if we're not like meeting those expectations in our own minds, then we become insecure. Insecure insecurity makes us fearful and fearful like People react with fight or flight, Mm -hmm. essentially. Totally. Fear always leads to the dark side. (laughs) (laughs) I knew someone in this room, somebody in this room had to say it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to wrap it up. Let's go back to talking about uh, the Incredibles themselves. Um, So I want to take a look at what happens to the Parr family when they allow society to impose its version of normal on them. So, I mean, obviously they go into hiding. They can't reveal who they are anymore. But it goes deeper than that. So, I mean, how do you guys see that sort of, that turn affecting them? Josh, what do you think? I think it kind of goes to, like, uh, when I was a kid and I was, like, in, I want to say, like, sixth grade or seventh grade, a teacher asked me, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? what's your career path? And it was like a, it was a class that was all about like economics. So it was like reasonable for her to be like, choose a career path that would make sense. And I was like, rock star. And they were like, (laughs) you can't do that. Like, that's not, you know, uh, and I was like, watch me. But I feel like telling people what they can or can't do, um, especially in this case where it's like kind of severe, where it's like, you are banned from doing this. It'd be like if you, you know, all of a sudden one day were a skateboarder your whole life and it was like all of a sudden skateboards are illegal. Yeah. You know, it's like it it would make you miserable. And you look at this family and like obviously the kids didn't grow up with it, but even Elastigirl and Mr. Incredible, they even though they're working through it, the only thing they can kind of think about is like I wish I was doing what I really wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that for, for better or for worse, they're trying to struggle and get through it. You see this, and, like, there are families that do this. There are people who have children when they didn't mean to have children, you know, and so now they're a parent and they're struggling with this idea of, like, giving up their hopes and dreams just to be uh, a mom or a dad. You see people who give up on their dreams far too soon uh, because society kind of does tell us to give up on our dreams sometimes, you know? Like, we need to pay our bills. We need to get through whatever, and it's hard, man. It's like Angie and I know creating our own business, we still were working, you know, a nine to five plus doing our, like if you don't have the hustle and the ability to say, I'm going to put in 16 hours days, seven days a week. Yeah. Uh, that's a lifestyle that's brutal. Yeah. But it's the only way sometimes to get there because society doesn't allow you to get there any, any easier. And to the point where Mr. Incredible has to go moonlighting 
and B, doing things illegally because it's his only choice. Yeah. True. What do you think, Angie? Yeah, I I actually like 100% agree with everything you were just saying. I think that I kind of, I come from an art background and so do you, Josh. Um, So I, I relate a lot of this stuff to artists and I think if I hadn't been nurtured in my youth as an artist, then there would be something inside of me that would be waiting to like kind of explode out of me. And if like I was never free to express or even like explore that, then I may be very angsty in, at this point in my life. Because um, you see like you see that like there's so much tension and resistance to everything that this family is doing because they're not able to like freely express themselves or like the these um their true talent the thing that they can be the best at that they're better at than anybody else they're like literally being told you cannot do this and you see when they can finally use it and be free to use it that's when they've like they almost go into this state of like hyper focus and they're like instinct kicks in and they can just like act immediately and imagine if they had been building that talent their whole lives how much greater they could be you can also see just like you know by the end of the film the family is much more of a unit they're much more friendly with each other yeah they're happier with each other than they are at the beginning of the film because they understand who they are now they understand who they are they all embrace each other for what they are uh, and instead of trying to hide like Trying to hide something from someone, no matter how good or bad you are at it, is always difficult because it just weighs you down. Mm. You know, like lying isn't great because all you're doing is lying to yourself and it will weigh you down. And that's what that family is doing to themselves. I mean, Elastigirl's trying to make it work and like trying to lie to herself, but Mr. Incredible can't handle the pressure, really, Mm. is what it comes down to. I think it's so interesting the way you worded the question because allow society to impose its version of normal. Because they didn't have to, right? I mean, they're super-powered beings. They they could have fought back somehow. Yeah, they could, they could have. But it's like, it's like the quintessential thing that every generation will struggle with. Because first of all, every generation's version of normal is constantly shifting. Mm. Yeah. And as society's value, what society places value on shifts... Um, there's a resulting shift in like everyone else and how they, how they perceive the people around them. The thing that's very much consistently lost in society's version of normal is an absence of what is this person individually gifted at? What does our society need and how can we possibly show the most love to them? We don't really do that very often. Yeah. Instead we go, Actually, like you said, Josh, actually, it'd be better if you were not a rock star. You won't achieve that. Sorry about it. And I think that, that society thinks it's helping Josh by saying that. Like, mm-hmm. like I say society. The people that are yeah, defining yeah, yeah. normal, they, they think they're going like, ah, Josh is never going to make it as a rock star. So we'll try and get him to be. Let's just rip that Band-Aid off now. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like, he should be a shepherd. Let's make him a shepherd instead. <laughs> right? And you're like, what? I'm not a shepherd. I was never meant to be a shepherd. You're like totally holding me back. And I think the, it would be, it would, now there is a struggle there 
Because the balance of that is to say, if how does Josh make it? How does Jay make it? How does Angie make it? How does Daryl make it? And do they have to have like a plan B so that they don't become a drag on society at some point in time? A drag on other people, I'll say. Yeah. So there is, I'm not saying that it's, it's a clear cut answer, but very rarely society decides to say, actually, the most loving thing to do would be to look at each and every person individually and see what they're really awesome at and to see what they struggle with and just be like, hey, how do we support this person to make them the best they can possibly be? Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, we don't learn that. We learn a little bit more like, well, you've got to take care of your life and you've got to be something that you're not. Yeah. Well, and that kind of, that goes into another one of the questions that I had here. As I was, I kind of worked through these questions with my wife and she helped me think through all of this stuff and as she often does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... um one of the big themes that she really latched onto was this idea of meaningful work. Hmm. And I feel like that's a little bit what we're talking about here. So let me go to that question. Um, you see a lot of value on that. In this movie, meaningful work really feeds into their identity. Like like Bob, even working at an insurance company, he's still breaking the rules to help people. Edna Mode points out that she gets no satisfaction out of designing for supermodels, you know. She used to design for gods, you know, and um, it's just a big theme in the movie. So I'm curious what you guys think about that. How connected is meaningful work to our identity? How have you seen that in your own life? Jay, let's start with you. Oh, start with me. (laughs) I haven't started with you yet. Yeah, no, I mean, I think so. I was very fortunate, like you guys are talking about, with parents who were like, hey, you should you should do what you feel like you've been called to do. Now, both my parents were accountants. So they also taught me to have a plan B. So it's like do like they were very much like do what you're gifted at doing, but also mm-hmm. contribute in the ways you contribute as well in other ways. Never like do something you hate. Never that. Yeah. I think the way I would address this is like everybody should have if, – if, if people are not doing what they love for their vocation, they should for sure have a hobby mm-hmm. and then do what they love. Yeah. And it's so easy to do in the modern day. It's so easy to do. It's easier than ever unless, unless you're like, you know, <laughs> I don't know, unless you're like – I love being a lumberjack. <laughs> that might be kind of <laughs> tough, but uh, you know, it's it's so much easier to do with the the with technology and what we're able to, you know. Um, so yeah, I think meaningful work is super important, and it's actually something that um, if we don't have meaningful work, if we're not pu- putting our best selves um, into something, I think that that can actually become a source of anxiety and depression for us, mm. and then life itself be- can become meaningless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Angie, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I actually, as you were saying that, I was I was actually kind of drawing my own conclusions from what you were saying. I worked at a sanctuary for farm animals called Farm Sanctuary. Um, there's actually one like not too far from here in Acton, but then there's also I, I worked on the one in the East Coast in upper, upstate New York. But um, I. I think everybody kind of has like a drive and we have, some of us have more of a drive to like help 
people or animals or, you know, the earth or whatever it is. And then others, we also have a drive in kind of like, kind of more of like a creative outlet. And I think that my drive has always been to help animals in some way. But I think my creative outlet or my creative drive rather um, is stronger than that need to help animals. And or like I do want to help animals, but it's like the hands on part of helping animals because I used to work there and I used to like go and like like give out medications and feed the animals and like do all this stuff for them. Um, But I started doing like artwork while I was there for the sanctuary to like auction off at fundraisers and stuff. And I was like, I think my talent is more meaningful when I use it in this way because I can do this better while there's other people who can do the, you know, the hands-on farm work better. Like the um, manager of Farm Sanctuary, Susie, she is... If she wasn't the manager of that farm and if she wasn't there every single day and thinking about those animals every single day, her, she probably would feel like her life had no purpose. So it's like if you are a superpower, a superhero and you have a power that's so strong inside of you like that and you're not able to do that, it's like what you said, it's going to lead to depression and anxiety because it is who you are. Right. It's it's. Now being in my 30s, uh, Facebook is a really strange place. Uh, I don't know if you guys have the same thing, but like half my feed is uh, from all my friends from Facebook. Some of them are new people that I've met in my life. And the other half are, you know, old people who are from not old people, but I mean like high school friends, people who are kind of part of my past. Uh, And. I find a lot, it's really interesting to go through my feed because there's so many people who uh, have not had this story in both Angie and, uh, and well, both of you guys have really kind of touched on this, uh, but Jay touched on it more, is that there's an idea of self-discovery. And sometimes we just don't try to discover ourselves or we feel like society won't allow us to discover ourselves, whatever the case may be, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's when you get the guy who's now 35 and he's been working at Target since he was 18 mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like paying bills, trying to get by, and he's never fulfilled anything. We actually have, and I know my roommate won't ever listen to this, so who cares, but our roommate has tried so many different things and is has legitimately copied us. He's uh, done YouTube. He started his own, like, uh, design company doing clothing. He's tried to do some of the things that we've did uh, with video. Like we did a lot for Halloween time. Uh, I think you pointed that out before, like when I've been around and they've tried to do that. And he just has never had this moment of like trying to figure out what he likes this moment. Yeah. He was always trying to test the waters with what everyone else likes. Yeah. He sees society, that it makes us happy. Or what society tells him he should like. Yeah. But he's never had a moment of sitting down and say, what should I really aim for? You know, uh, and then you get to those people that are in their, you know, 30s, 40s that are on Facebook that are like, what have I done? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it really comes down to 
the like the kids in the Incredibles. Uh, kind of uh, sorry, I went on a tangent there, but like kids in the Incredibles, they would have never been able to use their powers. They would have never been able to like really focus in. And you can see Violet's super shy. Dash is the kind of kid who acts out in class, not because he's a bad kid, but because he doesn't have the outlet. Right. You you don't give kids outlets. Um, and Daryl, you might know that because you're the parent in the room. Mm-hmm. If you don't let kids have outlets, they end up becoming like more overbearing, yeah. and they beca- yeah. they start having problems. And it's not by their own fault, really. It's because they're not. They just don't feel like they're allowed to. Yeah. And that's a difficult thing to watch somebody go down because then that's the guy who's working a dead end job, like kind of how, how Bob is in the film. Uh, trying to get by, and it's not until he rediscovers himself that he feels happiness. Yeah. The hard thing about it, because that's totally true, the hard thing about it is when you come at it from the perspective of a parent, you want your kids to be safe. You're the protector. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want anything bad to happen to your kids. And so that is a hard line to walk. You know, like I want... Like my son, I have two sons, but I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And my oldest son is super active. Like he would go out and run and climb anything he could find. And I want him to enjoy that. I want him to feel that joy and and get to exert himself that way. But I'm also afraid he's going to run into the street in front of a car, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. And the world isn't like it was when I was a kid. You know, when I was a kid, I would take my bike out at 10 years old and I'd be gone for hours and my mom would have no idea where I was, you know, and that was fine. Nowadays, I freak out if my son walks outside by himself, you know. Mm-hmm. We're, we're getting into the society now. I think it's Arizona, right, that passed a law for a free range parenting where uh, you can let your kids kind of meander, mm-hmm. you know, freely. And you're not a bad parent yeah. by doing so. <laughs> like, I would like to know, because I I don't have that ability to think, like, this is a good decision because I've been with my kid and he should go on. But like, you have. So, like, what is your stance on free-range parenting? Will it, in the long run, help society in general? Like, if, if we were to adopt this idea worldwide, even just nationwide, do you think that that idea would be beneficial? Because you were a free-range kid, yeah, really, in essence. And we've just kind of more and more crushed kids as we go down yeah. the road. I don't know. I mean, my first, I've, I'm not too familiar with the concept of free range parenting. I mean, I get the overall idea. My first thought is it, it depends on your environment. Like even here in Brea where we live, there's enough going on that I don't feel comfortable letting my son, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be a free range parent. Maybe when he gets older and understands things a little bit better, I'll feel differently about that. But, but I think about where my parents live in Colorado. They're out kind of in the mountains in a rural place and stuff like that. And with the exception of a big slope leading down to a river, there's not much, there's not much danger there, sure. you know? And I'd be like, well, as long as, buddy, as long as you know you don't go too close to the slope, yeah, go out, have fun, you know? So, I mean, it's environmental, but I don't know. I mean, I think that overall children could benefit from being allowed more freedom within a safe context. But I feel like 
as we go on in society, safe contexts are becoming less and less prevalent. You know, they're going away. Like there will always be people out there that want to hurt kids and there will Mm. always be people out there that are broken and ill and we're just, we're never going to get away from danger. You know, I think there's one difference in the modern society though, that didn't exist back when you were a kid and when I was a kid. Yeah. And that is that we all knew our neighbors. Yeah. So even if you knew who the weirdos were, you were like, you don't don't go near that house. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Like, but I think what's happened now is we don't know our neighbors. So there's a fear that exists there. Well, and there's also the internet. I mean, exactly. We had anonymity back then. Like, I, you know, if I was out wandering around, if it was a safe neighborhood, then it was okay because nobody knew I existed. Nobody knew where I lived. Nobody knew how to find me. Nowadays, it's totally different. And this is why my wife and I have chosen to keep our kids off of social media. So like, I, I keep referring them as my kids. I won't even say his name because I know this is going to go on the internet. <laughs> but um, because you can go on to Facebook, you can see a picture of a child. I know what that child looks like. I know the name of his parents. I know what city they live in. And in some cases, people even put their addresses on Facebook. I mean, it's crazy. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, I can go find that child. If I am a broken person who wants to hurt children, I can get to that one. Well, what about, um, because like right now, we're kind of going through this debate, like about should some teachers be able to have guns on them, on their person in class? And like sending your kid to school, you may feel it's either more safe or more dangerous either way. Yeah. And like what if what about sending your kid to a school knowing that there are other children in the school? Your kid's not a super a super, but there's a couple of kids in the school who are supers mm. and their powers could be seen as dangerous. Would you feel comfortable sending your kid to school knowing that? That's a good question. That's like the most X-Men question ever. That'd be something that I would have thought of before, but... Like, if there was a kid sitting next to yours in class that didn't like... That, like, didn't get along with your kid and could, like, create fire from their hands, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good... It's a really good question. I mean, I know myself as a parent, and yeah, I'd worry about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm the protective one. I mean, we're both careful with our children, but... Yeah, of course. But if you look at... Jamie and I against Bob and Helen Parr, we'd be switched. Like Jamie would be the one wanting to let them do what they want to do. And I'd be the one that's like, well, but it's dangerous. There's Mm -hmm. rocks and the ground is hard. And, you know, so. I'm going to jump back. I know this is like a slightly off topic thing. I'm going to jump back like two points ago because I think Angie touched on something that I want to like hit on because I think it's really important. Prohibition, like Josh talked about earlier, is... An interesting answer. I think it's the wrong answer because one of the things that I've learned in my life as I've entered my 30s, because I did not know this in my 20s, I thought that I was interested in certain things. Therefore, if I pursued those things, I would be good at those things. What I realized in my 30s was that I'm only good at, um, I shouldn't say only good, but like I'm really good at these things, right? That is not, so I'll give you an example. I was talking to my intern the other day. She's going to graduate and she's kind of thinking like, what should I do with my life? And when you're, when you're 22 years old and you're in that kind of scenario, you tend to think in terms of these broad generalities. 
Oh, I'll go into event management. I'll go into marketing. What I realized in my 30s was I'm really not great at managing super, super, super minute details. I'm not really good at, um, you know, scheduling something out and making sure that everything is perfect. That's not really the way my brain works. I used, but when I was flashbacks right now, yeah, I know, seriously. (laughs) But when I was 22, I thought marketing is my thing. The reality is, your gifts can be utilized in multiple different formats across multiple. That's kind of what Angie was hinting at. So, what's interesting is you apply that to this film. Think of the things that if Dash was pointed towards something, maybe it's not being a hero, but think of what a fast kid. Uh, football star for sure. Yeah, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this interesting. It's this interesting thing where, like, like I, I would hope that as we develop and we understand what our giftedness is, we wouldn't just limit ourselves to, oh, I like that thing, so therefore I'll do that thing. Yeah. Like Josh is an awesome host journalist, right? I like to think so sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I always call him the Ira Glass of Network 1901, right? Um, Ira Glass of Disney Podcasting. He could apply his skill set to multiple things and and it'd be super valuable. He just so happens to have applied it to an interest that he has in Disney, and that's great. Same thing with Angie. Angie could apply her art, and she said it because you said, I'm not the best at helping these animals out, but I could use my personal giftedness to help out animals Mm -hmm. in a different way. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're not in your 30s, or if you are in your 30s and you've wasted some of your talents, figure out what you're really good at, and you will gain fulfillment out of life if you apply that. Mm -hmm. Pretty, Pretty guaranteed on that. Yeah. It's interesting because I'm. you're talking about being in your 20s and your 30s and being at this crossroads and trying to figure out where you really want to go. I'm in my 40s, and I'm sort of at that point. Yeah. I See, mean, oh, sorry. go ahead. I, I'm in my 20s, and I actually feel like I'm at that point that you're saying right now. But maybe, <laughs> I'll, look, maybe I'll be looking back at this, and I'll be like, hey, no, he was right. I thought I had it figured out, but I don't. Mm. I think that <laughs> that's something that we all deal with. <clears throat> uh, you know, cheapo plug. But, you know, and, uh, Jay and I have been doing this other show for Network 1901 called Gold Blooming. One of the films we looked at was The Big Chill. The Big Chill's entire message is, what even is life? You know, yeah. like, it, like, like, what are we doing? Who are we doing it for? Right? Everybody in that film, when we were discussing it, is a big-time person. They're a movie star. They're a lawyer. They're a doctor. They're a, a journalist for a popular magazine. But they're all unhappy and they're all unhappy because they're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it because they thought that's where the money was. That's where society was going to tell them to be. That's what was great about them. Now, at the end of that film, Jeff Goldblum, who was going to write an article for the magazine he was going to work for about the weekend he had with his friends, which would have been exploitive and would have been a great money making thing and a great business decision on his end. Instead, decided, hey, I'm a great writer. I'm not going to write this article. I'm going to write a book and sell it on my own. And so it's that same idea of taking something you know you're good at and doing the thing that you really want to do with it Mm -hmm. instead of doing the thing that society tells you to do. And, yes, sometimes that's not the money-making thing. (laughs) We're all sitting here 
four people in a room doing a podcast and there's not a dollar probably being made from this currently <laughs> right now. There could be in the future, the, you know, in some ways you're playing the long game mm-hmm. and you have to know what the long game is or at least have a somewhat idea of where the long game is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think when you're 20 and you get out of college and you go, what am I going to do? There's like a straight beeline for like whatever will make me money, get mm-hmm. me out of my parents' house, you know, and get me on what society deems is the right career. It's only till later when you are at that place where it's like, okay, I did what society said. Uh, now what? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think the Incredibles are kind of at that point though too, right? Like it's uh, uh, at least the two adults in the family. They're at this point where like they're at a dead end job. They're both you know raising a family. They're doing what society has told them to do, but what's better? Nothing yeah. mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, and I think too, like uh, if if I was if I was gonna give people advice, I would say you don't know until you go and try things. Right. So it's not like you. It's not like you should say I have it all figured out, and I should pursue my passions at all costs. Okay, you probably don't know what those are yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm still discovering what some of mine are, and I think that there's don't be afraid of the process, because you just can't. You just can't know. You will know over time. Mm-hmm. Things will be. Things will be uncovered for you. Things will be revealed for you, and you'll figure it out. That right. Way. Yeah. And the other side of it too is. You could hit a point where you realize, okay, I know what I love. I know what I think I'm good at. I'm going to put those together. That's my big passion. I'm going to pursue it. And you get there and you realize, I'm not as good at this as I thought I was going to be. Sure. Mm-hmm. But that's and okay. That's exactly. A, and you have to come to that realization that that's okay. Exactly. Right. And so I think about it in terms of, I don't, you know, I'm not a big ambitious career person. I've, Jay's heard me say this before. My big ambition was to be a husband and a dad. And so I think I used to think like, oh man, when that finally happens, I'm going to be great at it. Mm. I'm going to be the best dad ever. Mm. And I'm not the best dad ever. I'm nowhere near the dad that I want to be. Just Mr. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, and, and you're right. I think it's okay. In fact, it's appropriate to realize that you're not as good at it as you want to be because you never are, right? Like if you love something, you always want to get better at it. So I think that's, you have, like you're saying, you have to have that realization that that tension is actually a good thing. There's one other thing I'd point out. I know we've been on this topic forever, but there's one thing about the movie itself that I think teaches us something about the way the world works, which is really fascinating too, is that each member of the family utilizes their giftedness to help other people around them to benefit the collective but they do it because they're intrinsically good at it themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a really cool point to make. If Josh is the Ira Glass of Network 1901 and he's like, you know what? Screw other people. I'm just going to do this by myself. He's not as good by himself as he is with other people. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we even had a conversation after Gold Blooming the other day <laughs> where we're like, let's talk about all of the people around us and where they fit and how it, how they work really well with what our bigger goals and accomplishments we hope to have. And I think that those conversations can be really healthy. They can also be damaging if you're not careful because you don't want to be like, well, that person sucks at this. So clearly they're not going to do that anymore. But if we can all get around one another and go, you know what? If you make this little tweak, you're amazing. Yeah. 
and we can all be open to that kind of feedback and like receive it, I think that that can be really cool. But if we're working together and we're saying like, I'm not as good at this as you are. Yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I know that when Freddie, Freddie's our new, um, our new newest volunteer. Yeah. Way better than me at monitoring the audio and stuff. Mm-hmm. Way better. I, I, I mean, he just does it and knows how to do it. Yeah. I'm like trying to fiddle with it. I'm like, I actually hate monitoring this stupid audio. Like he's just great at it. So knowing when you can say, I had a, I had a guy that I knew that says, know when to fire yourself. <laughs> because there's always times when you're like, you know what? I'm, why am I doing this? I should fire myself from this job. Somebody else should do it. Yeah. Well, it's like, that's what you're saying. Like you had said this before, Jay, and that's all about motivations and intentions, right? It all comes down to that. So it's like you have, you have things that you're, you're good at and you're, it's, you, you might call a talent, but then you also have your motivation, and when you can have those two things align where you're like the best of both and you can bring those two things together, that's when you're you're functioning at your like highest potential. So like, um, you know, he's working at an insurance company and he is his drive, his motivation is to help people, but his talent is is to be a superhero and be super strong. So he, yes, he's helping people. He's fulfilling that intention, but he's not doing it to the best of his ability. And when you know you can find your talent or you can find your, um, you know, what you're truly good at by noticing when you kind of get into the zone or you get into like this state of like what you'd call flow and you can see them getting into these states while they're using their superpowers like anytime dash is running you can see it in his face he is like in the zone and like you can like we all have moments in our lives that we feel like we're in the zone whether it's like we're writing or like you know we're creating or we're building or we're like like you know for people who love like math and science it's like when you're you're in the zone of like creating these like formulas and and whatever and like once you find those moments and then you figure out what your you feel like your purpose is in life and you can like throw those two together and if you can find other people that have the same purpose and the same motivations but not necessarily the same talents is when you can all come together and you can like all work towards that that kind of like end purpose that you collectively share but you're all kind of throwing in your own unique take on it with your different talents. And that's like kind of how I feel like the family works together. Their motivation, their drive is to all collectively help people. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And you really see it come together at the end of the movie. You know, there's the scene where they're fighting the giant robot and stuff like that. And the way that they had them all work together Mm -hmm. and use their powers to help each other and help everybody else, I think is it's so beautifully woven mm-hmm. together. I love that scene. Um, and I mean, it's totally true. I love a good team. Like, not to toot our own horn, but <laughs> we were saying the other day, we were like all six of us on the Story Geeks team, we were texting about something, jumping on, I forget exactly what it was, but we were all coming at it from our own different angles. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, I'm going to do this. Caitlin's like, I'm going to do this. Nathan, you know, Ashley. Freddie and I remember thinking and I think I even said I'm like can we just sit back and enjoy 
how fun it is to work together as a team, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so it was really cool. Totally. Yeah. Well, let me, um, let's go towards a different angle here. We've talked a little bit about Violet and Dash. Um, and obviously, you know, you really get the sense neither of them fit in. They're not who they're, they're not able to be who they really want to be. But it's kind of from different angles. Like Dash wants to be the superhero. He wants to show who he is. Violet doesn't want that. Violet wants to be normal and fit in with all the other kids and stuff like that. And they both go through their own journeys. But that whole idea of not fitting in, I feel like all of us have felt that as a kid or even as adult at some point in our lives. And so I'm just curious how having gone through that shapes us in good and bad ways. So, Josh, let's start with you on this one. Uh, oh, I think that this is like a big open-ended question, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, who am I? This is like that big show thing again. Like, what is life? Uh, but, okay, so you go through school. You get bullied or you don't feel accepted. Uh, you don't feel like you fit in with the table at lunch that you really want to sit with. Yeah. You know, like we do all kind of go through that. I mean, if you're one of the very few that doesn't feel that, I feel like you lucked out. But then I also feel like those people, like when they say the best years of your life or the or your high school years, those are those people, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> I got to sit at the cool kid table uh, and that was the peak of my life. Yeah. But I think that, you know, either of these kids uh, on either side, whether it's because Dash wants to be himself uh, or because you want to fit in, I think um, I think there's lessons to be learned in either. And I think, again, that goes back to not like free-range parenting, but allowing kids to really self-discover. Uh, and like, you know, we don't, we don't really get kind of a true answer to Violet. We get the answer, you know, Dash does get to kind of be who he really wants to be, and yeah. he looks like he's having a great time every time he's running. Violet, we don't really get a com- complete answer, but... I think the assumption is that she realizes in that self-discovery of like, this is kind of nice having this family that's so supportive and that you feel like you're contributing to the family is really nice. Cause I know even at a really young age and I was the only child. So everyone else in my house was way older than me. Right. My two, my two parents and like my grandfather, grandmother. And I felt like, uh, and Angie can attest to this. I was a talker. But no one would listen to me, so I just would keep talking. (laughs) You know, like, oh, please listen to me. And I felt like I just could never contribute to a conversation. I could never get my two cents in. And maybe that's why now I have a podcast uh, three times a week. (laughs) You know, but like, but like, I think that uh, I wanted so badly to be a part of that family unit, the same way that I so badly wanted to have friends and whatever. Uh, And you're always striving to, you know, I'm sitting with these friends, but like maybe I could be even cooler if I sat over there. We're all striving to have that. And there's that sense of self-discovery. And you're going to go through that throughout all of your childhood. But I feel like uh, these kids are on their paths and their family is allowing them now, you know, even if it's illegal, they're allowing them to kind of find themselves. And I feel like it takes Violet out of a depressive situation it takes dash out of a situation where he could end up being expelled in the long term um 
So uh, it's a positive. It's a positive thing to let your kids explore. Yeah. And feel out the feelings. It's not bad to have those types of feelings of depression or angst or whatever. It's bad when it gets to the point where, like, they're on huge medications by age 12. Or that they're, you know, acting out so poorly that they're getting kicked out of school for days on end. You got to, you know, nip that in the bud when you can. But I think that that's, uh, you know, allowing those feelings to come out and self-exploration, fantastic. And I think the movie does explore that and it shows it in a positive light. Yeah. Angie, how do you feel about the whole struggle to fit in? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm the violet. I was the violet in school. But I think, like, if I, if I could have used an energy field as, like, a shield... I think I would have, like, felt a lot better about the fact that, like, people said really mean things. Like, if I could literally have a shield around me, (laughs) if I wanted to, I think it would make me feel, like, you know, a little less attacked when people kind of came up to bully me. And I think, like, Dash, you know, Dash acts out because he wants attention and if he would have just, if he would just be able to be himself, he wouldn't need that attention because he'd be getting it for being himself, you know? So I think, like, he's, he's, he's looking for attention in a negative way because he's not getting any otherwise. It's funny because there's something that is so profound about trying to fit in and about our identity and how the two fit together. Because, like you said, have you ever experienced this feeling and how has it shaped you? And I kind of wonder if there's anybody in the world who hasn't experienced that feeling. Mm-hmm. Probably not. Yeah. Because it's such, a, it's, such a, it's such a weird thing because you enter the world, you have a life, and you're going to die. And so, so you almost like you fit into this giant timeline of world history for a very brief period of time. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, and in that time period, like the big chill, <laughs> you got to, you try to figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just try your best to figure it out. And some of us ha- live, I mean, we're all, we're all in, in a, in a pretty nice part of the country. Mm-hmm. One of the best parts of the world. And yet we still face the same question we still face the same how come we don't really fit in and this is this is why you know people get involved in cults this is why people because we're searching for please accept me mm-hmm. yeah please accept me as as i am and so many of us don't accept one another as they are and it's just so weird because i know like uh i was as this is really funny <laughs> it's a really funny thing that occurred where uh i was telling josh the other day i go I grew up until the time I was about five years old in a cult. And I'm like, it was not one of the crazy weird ones, right? Yeah. It's not one of, it's not one of I'm, but I grew up in one. And I, and I was talking to my dad, and my dad harbors a lot of guilt uh, from, this, from this cult. And, uh, and I was telling him, I was, after I talked to Josh, I was like, Dad, you realize we grew up in a cult, right? Because <laughs> my dad, I, I said I grew up until I was five. My dad was like his whole formative year spent mm-hmm. in this cult. And he goes, and the first thing he was, it was kind of like, but all the people were really good people. I'm like, yeah, but 
it was still a cult. And he goes, yeah, maybe so. And he goes, <laughs> I, the next time I saw him, he goes, so I talked to, uh, I talked, I talked to, uh, I talked to the, to the therapist that I was seeing and I'm like, my son thinks I was in a cult. And he's like, really? And he's like, how do I even know what a cult is? And the guy goes, here's six things that describe a cult. My dad goes, it described oh, all, all six of them. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and I, and I, I think that like there, there's this sense that we really need to belong to something and we need to fit in and we need, we have a, we have an essential need for love. And at the same time, we can cert- people can manipulate that about us. And so I think as we look at the two characters, the family serves that for them. Um, and I'm really happy about that. But Syndrome's family didn't. Yeah. And in, in many cases, he was rejected by uh, the people around him who should have been embracing and loving towards him and yeah. wasn't. And I think that that's a pretty good model for what happens in life if we don't find people that love us and are willing to invest in us despite our flaws. Yeah. And yet if we don't, and we see the syndrome type of occurrence that it's really damaging. Yeah. Really damaging. I, so for me, when I was growing up, I was, so my, my parents put me in school a year late because I had a late birthday. So they figured I would rather be older than all the other kids rather than younger than all the other kids. So I was generally older than most of my peers hmm. and usually taller because I was always a tall kid. So from physicality alone, I just, I didn't get bullied a whole lot right. because they just, I wasn't as easy a target. Yeah. It started to change a little bit more when I like very publicly got into comics and stuff like that. Cause that wasn't cool back mm-hmm. then, <laughs> but, <laughs> but for me, the whole idea of not fitting in, I think I attribute it very heavily to the idea that the negative is more memorable than the positive hmm. if you look back on your life. Because um, countless people have been very encouraging to me over the years, but I'll, I have a hard time exactly picking a whole bunch of those out. But I could rifle off for you right now 10, 15, 20 times that something incredibly negative was said to me either by a kid at school or somebody in my family or a coworker or a friend or whatever it may be. And I think that's one way that sometimes it feels hard to fit in because you latch onto that stuff so much and then you don't see truth in the positive stuff because it just doesn't hit you as hard. Mm -hmm. And now even 10, 20, 30 years later, it's still with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hard. It's so hard to, be you're doing so many things positive and positive and like one moment where you feel that one memory total derail mm-hmm. total yeah. derailing yeah yep and that's why you know as now that i'm in my 40s i've come to learn that and you, obviously you don't want to go too far the other way either you don't want to have all these you don't want to just live on compliments alone and right. have yes men <laughs> surrounding you and think you're mm-hmm. so much greater than you really are you don't want that either but are you tossing Kanye West into the bus? Yes. <laughs> <happily>. <laughs> but um, I've come to really appreciate not so much fitting in. I don't feel like I need to fit in everywhere I am anymore, but I've come to really appreciate people in my life who encourage me in a way that sticks, in a way that feels true. And my wife is like that. All my best friends are like that. Jay, you're like that. And... 
those are the people that I'm like, if I have those people in my life, I don't care about if I have to fit in anywhere else. Like, I just don't feel that burden anymore, Hmm. you know? Well, and I wonder if that be, that comes because you're comfortable with your identity. You kind of have, like, a well-rounded idea of who you are. But, like, for Violet and Dash, how can they even begin to know who they are? Totally. If the biggest thing... It's like, it's like this energy, like, vibrating outside of them to try to, like, you know, explode. And they, how would they know? Yeah. And, like, I mean, Dash, like, if you say something is illegal... And then someone does that thing, you've automatically turned them into a criminal or into, like, you know, a bad person. So Dash, simply because he's, like, fast and, like, uses his superpower, he gets he's a bad kid. But yeah. if it wasn't illegal, he'd be a good kid. And try to tell a kid not to do something. Oh. I dare you. Yeah. You know, like, oh. he will prove you wrong yeah. right there. And they even say in the movie, like, when she's... When um, Elastigirl is, like, basically handing Dash and Violet their masks for the first time, she's saying, protect your identity. It's the most, like, valuable thing you have or something along those lines. And it's, like, she's literally saying that, like, your identity is the most important thing. But this, this is the first moment that they're really truly even realizing what their identity even is. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing to say in a superhero movie, too, because, uh, we tend to think of superheroes, their identity, like Batman's identity is Batman, right? Yeah. He is the Batman. Uh, but he's also Bruce Wayne. And so is he protecting, is Batman protecting Bruce Wayne? Is Bruce Wayne protecting Batman? Mm. Uh, it can go either way. Yeah. And so when she says protect your identity, she's obviously saying wear this mask because you at the end of the day are too children going to school you are not two superheroes yeah and i think that that's an interesting mentality to go about because in a movie about superheroes you're saying these people aren't superheroes they're people with abilities yeah Mm -hmm. and that they're using those abilities for good just like any like when jay you were saying like we figure out our abilities and then we figure out what we do with them Mm -hmm. for these kids they've now embraced their abilities now they need to just take those safety precautions, take those measures, and be able to use those abilities wisely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you don't have, you know, and I think like they let go of the helicopter parenting mentality mm. to be able to give them that, but they know that they're putting them into danger. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's and giving them an education on their own it's, powers. It's, it's giving them an education, but it's also trial by fire. You know, like, hmm. these kids are either going to die, literally, <laughs> or get made fun of at school, or, you know, go to jail, or whatever the consequences could end up being for these kids. Or they will succeed tenfold, because you've allowed them to grow from that. So, mm-hmm. I, it's an interesting concept, I just kind of want to bring it up. And you trust no... them, too. Like, she, when she hands them, like, their the uniforms... She's essentially saying, I trust you and your judgment. Yeah. But I, I think at the end of the day, we're looking at a story about people, not about... Because we don't associate superheroes being regular people. Like, Bat, you know, Batman's not one of us. Like, even Iron Man, who's has no superpowers, he's just really rich and can make up all this cool tech. He's not one of us. Yeah. 
even though they really all are. They all are just humans with emotions and feelings, you know, uh, even like the Hulk, who's like a big green hairy thing. Like he's he is human. He has emotions. He has feelings. We see that like in Thor Ragnarok, finally. But that's kind of great that they point out these kids are kids. They're not they're kids first, superheroes second. Well, and that kind of brings it back to that first question. Like, how does this movie impact the, you know, MCU movies that are now coming out? Yeah. And it's like, maybe that's it. It's like, it's showing the human side more. Like with Jessica Jones or Daredevil. Like you're seeing them as like just regular everyday people walking the streets. Yeah. The stories are always more interesting when the regular human is more interesting as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Bruce Banner... Like, the Hulk would not be a great character if Bruce Banner wasn't a great right. character. And, and I, I think they've stumbled onto the fact that it's not that hard to do. Like, it's little things. Like, um, the best example I can give is there's a moment in Captain America's Civil War that's one of my fav- favorite moments in all of the MCU. It's when, it's after the whole incident in Nigeria. Is that where they were? Lagos, Nigeria? Yeah. Yeah. And um, Cap is in, he's sort of, he's talking through it with uh, Wanda in her room afterwards. And she's talking about how it's her fault and stuff like that. And he kind of just sits down next to her and he's like, well, this job, you know, and he goes on to talk about it. And just the fact that he referred to being a superhero as as a job, Mm. that one tiny little thing humanizes him so much. Mm. Because you can relate. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, it's so interesting because I think like the Hulk is a great example. I think that Batman is a great example because it's so cool when the writers have incorporated the strength and weakness of a character in tension with one another. Because G- Batman's greatest strength is his is his willingness to fight corruption in the political and social and governing structure that he exists in. And yet he does so by breaking the laws Mm. of that structure. And so when does he go too far? That he'll never be able to satisfy. Yeah. So when does he go too far? It's so easy to go too far. The Hulk on the other hand is like, the only way I overcome the bad guys is to lean into what I consider a horrendous, character flaw which Mm. is anger that turns me into this and so there's this delicate balance that they're always trying to to find Mm -hmm. i think that's really cool the other thing that i think is so fascinating and when you brought up like when she's handing him the masks that is such a powerful thing to say your identity because i would agree with that statement like your identity is one of the most important things you have protect it protect it yeah Mm -hmm. what's so fascinating about it is she's handing them masks She's saying, hide your identity. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> you, your identity is the most important thing, but for sure, don't, don't show it to everyone. Yeah. yeah. And that dichotomy is a rough dichotomy. Yeah. And it's a dichotomy that we all live with because mm-hmm. what we say is, I want to show you all of my strengths, but I don't want to show you any of my weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but, but that, that there's so much that's captured in that identity statement that I think is yeah. so cool. Well, in that case, too, like, it's almost like she's actually putting the strength more in the non-superhero version of 
her children. Hmm. So she's saying, like, your non-superhero part of you is stronger than the superhero part of you. But then also what you were saying, Jay, like, the idea... It seems like the superheroes that are the most powerful, like you were saying, like Captain America or like the Hulk or Batman or whatever, they're the most powerful when they've learned to harness and control their powers. But they would never have been able to do that if they suppressed those feelings. Mm. True. Yeah. And I think that's one of the... I mean, not to keep harping on the MCU, but I think that's... Yeah. Another reason that the MCU works really well, because with the exception of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. there really are no secret identities in the MCU. True. Like, everybody's known for being who they are. So they just yeah. kind of take that out of the equation. And if you look at the, the DC movies recently that are the better movies, you know, your Man of Steel, I would say Batman versus Superman, even Wonder Woman, like, even though there are there is some secret identity in there, they sidestep it as much as humanly possible mm. so they can just talk about the people. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. I, so every time we do one of these, I always like to throw in a question towards something that seems really random. <laughs> 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 like we've had the, then I'll see the, I'll see you in hell from empire yeah. strikes back. And just these lines that maybe aren't that important. It'd be almost a throwaway line until you're like, wait a minute, that's crazy. Let's analyze yeah. that. Let's yeah. talk about that. So here's that question okay. for this podcast. Um, so the Underminer, um, which is a villain that we only see real briefly. Um, but he comes out and he says, Behold the Underminer. I'm always beneath you, but nothing is beneath me. I hereby declare war on peace and happiness. Soon all will tremble before me. So obviously he's only a minor, no pun intended, character. But that seems like a really good summary of evil <laughs> to me. So I don't know. How did that line strike you guys? Jay, you're smiling, so let's let you start there. Yeah, well, you know, the way we, the way we always define evil, or if I say heroes and villains, is the... It's, because I think there's, there's, there's something that happens in society where we tend to get tribal. For whatever reason, we tend to get... Well, because we feel comfortable in our tribe. So there's good, there's, I understand the reasons I think a lot of times, but it's so interesting to hear someone who's basically going to be like, I'm going to be so evil that I'm not even going to be tribal. I'm going to be just me and I am going to cause pain to everyone else mm-hmm. around me. Yeah. I don't think that there's anything more evil than that. Cause at least, at least if you fall in alignment with a tribe at least you could say, okay, I know you're trying to benefit your tribe. You're just misguided because your tribe is your tribe is trying to hurt other people and they shouldn't be. At least I can have some sympathy on you because you're seeing it from your perspective and you think that your tribe has been hurt, so therefore you're lashing out back against other people. I have some sympathy for that. But I have no sympathy if you literally are like, I reject all tribes and I am just going to be evil. Mm-hmm. It's like, what in the world? Yeah. Like that's crazy. So, uh, yeah, this is a this is a really good um I mean, declare war on peace and happiness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine anything that's more evil than that. That sounds pretty bad. Um But yeah, I, I think it is a good summary of evil and it is sort of the ultimate evil. Like I think we can even look at syndrome and we can say 
I understand how Syndrome got to be where he was because he was his identity was rejected. He was rejected. He was actually rejected by by literally being less than. Yeah. And it was like we reject I reject you for being less than. So we kind of get why he's this way, but the underminer were like, "Yeah, <laughs> you're just a dick, man." Like I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I don't know why you're doing this. So yeah, it's bad. <laughs> I think uh, it's interesting. I know he doesn't he doesn't mean it this way, right? When he says, "I'm beneath you," he really means like that. He's literally digging underneath the ground beneath you. But it could be also taken as the fact that he thinks he's beneath people. He's making himself the villain. Uh, and I think a lot of people who are villains or are bad guys, people who go and do horrific crimes, get in their own head. Mm. And mm. I think that when you create, when you picture yourself as the villain, you become the villain, and he is saying nothing's beneath me, he'll do anything to you know be the biggest, best bad guy he can be. But he's created his own monster. And, like, I'm glad that, like, the uh, Incredibles 2 is picking up right where the first one left off. Because we'll see this character again. Hopefully. Uh, But, like, I would like to know more about this character's backstory simply because... Where, how do you get to that point? Uh, and I think that this is a great study of, of characters. Like, um, you know, if you were to go back and look at like forensic files or like look at uh, character studies of people who are like serial killers and, and whatnot, like, how do you become the villain? How do you convince yourself that you will do anything and nothing is beneath you? You will go the distance mm-hmm. in doing some awful stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, where, is the, where does the mind break? Because that's really a broken person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I think we can convince ourselves of anything. But I, there are definitely people out there that can convince themselves that being the worst villain is the right thing for them to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess we're saying live up to your potential, right? If that's their potential. <laughs> but I like, I like what both of you are saying, um, Jay and Josh. I, I like agree with that, and I think I just have something to add. Maybe like that we all kind of have our own um, idea of like ethics or morals, and like to to live our own lives by. We kind of have this like idea that like, oh, you know, if somebody does something, you'd be like, I would never do that. But he is essentially saying, like you said, nothing is beneath me. And, like, that's scary because that's so against all of our social norms. Like, we think, like, when somebody kind of comes in and says, I don't care about what's socially acceptable. I don't care what you think. Like, we were saying, Jay, with, like, the tribal thing. Like, I don't care if I belong to any group. I don't care if I step on anyone's toes or or on anyone's toes or hurt anyone's feelings, I'm going to do what needs to get done. And we often say the scariest people are those who kind of have nothing to lose. And he kind of says he has nothing to lose. Yeah, that's... This is the most terrifying type of person because you don't even know how to turn them around. Yeah. Like, one of the most villainous people in the history of mankind is Adolf Hitler. And an entire country of people got behind that agenda. 
Yeah. And if you, if you, I'm not like some Hitler expert, but if you study it a little bit, you go, mm-hmm. here was an economically depressed country that was, that was going to gravitate towards anything that could save them from that depression. And they chose to go for someone who promised them things and made villains of other people. But even that makes more sense than this guy. Because I think you really do have to be super, super broken, super broken to be like, I don't care about anyone else. I don't, I'm yeah. just going to do what I need to do. You have to be there because there's, there's no logical, rational reason. Like, Because I, I, I look at people in our country today and I go, I have no idea. Uh, my first thought sometimes is I have no idea why you're, why you're saying this. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. what lies did you have to tell yourself to believe what's coming out of your mouth right now? Exactly. <laughs> and yet I can still go, if, I, if you research it long enough, and I've, and I've heard some really good NPR stories about people who, there's this one fantastic story where, this, where uh, there was an African-American guy who sort of had become a messenger to the alt-right young males and then he started to realize what they were also doing outside of his relationship with them. And he was like, guys, you guys realize you're like railing against me, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm African-American. Like, what in the world? <sighs> and he had this relationship where I was like, talk about a hero. That dude's stepping into the enemy territory and going like, let me educate you on this. And I think that we can sometimes, if we step into, because what he said was, I started to understand them. I started to understand where they were coming from. I started to understand why they were gravitating towards the things, the hateful things they were gravitating towards. And a lot of it was they were misguided, but they were not truly hateful people. They had just started to latch on to things that were not true. And it was my job, this is him, it was my job to start to educate them differently, to show them Mm -hmm. a different side of things. Yeah. And that is remarkable because I think a lot of times what we choose to do when we see somebody who doesn't have our viewpoint is to just be like, you're terrible. We very, we very rarely stop to go like, can you tell me more about how you feel, why you feel this way? Mm-hmm. And, and yet that's some of the ways that you can change people's hearts and minds is to actually go through that process. Yeah. So it's just this fascinating concept that I think like. I want to sit down with this guy and be like, why, dude? <laughs> yeah. What's going on <laughs> about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you need to talk to somebody? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. I just think it's a brilliant way to end the movie mm. because, you know, you want, you want people to leave with some sort of compact, summarized version of the message you're trying to convey at the end of your movie. And it's it would have been cheesy if Mr. Incredible stood up and said, well, now we're here and we're going to be, you know, we're going to protect the world and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. This is the perfect way to do it because rather than summing up the message, you're summing up the antithesis of the message mm-hmm. so that everybody feels the truth and they stand against that. Mm. And like, this is why you need the incredible. Yeah, mm. exactly. Because the message of the movie really is exactly the opposite of what this guy's saying. Exactly. Yeah. Well, know? in evil, it seems like evil will inspire evil, but then you hope that the good will also inspire more totally. good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So with that in mind, <laughs> my final question for you guys is what are your hopes 
for Incredibles 2? What do you hope to see happen in that movie? Angie, we'll start with you. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, I don't really have any hopes. Like, I really love going into movies not having any expectations. I Like, I want to be surprised. So I guess... My hope is to be surprised. Is that a, is that like a cheating answer? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I think since we're starting, so we're starting off this film right after the first film, which mm-hmm. I, I think is an interesting move. I don't think any superhero films done that yet, have they? Where they've started like the second, even like the even like when you're talking about like sequels. Yeah, BVS was. Kind of like that, only because Batman was responding to what Superman and Zod had done. Yeah, sure. But not totally, though. So I think what's interesting about this one is that it's going to be difficult um, because usually we, you know, in a film, we skip ahead a few months or a few years or whatever, and there's an immediate growth. You see, like, oh, this person has changed. And now that these kids have kind of had their first adventure, um, they've got now two parents who don't have to work dead end jobs. They're going into a totally different dynamic, but it's not a dynamic that feels lived in yet. Mm-hmm. They have to now adjust and figure out mm-hmm. now that the superhero thing is okay again, how do we fit into society? So it's interesting because it's the exact opposite of what it was. It was, how do we fit into society because what we were wasn't good? Yeah. And now it's how do we fit into society because now we're being accepted? It's like the exact opposite, but it's mm-hmm. still the same problem. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they solve that and push the characters forward. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to see anybody stagnant. Like Frozone is a great character. It has a great line. Like the where's my super suit line. Fantastic. <laughs> but I don't want to see... Samuel L. Jackson's Frozone throwing out a bunch of one-liners and just kind of sitting on the sidelines. I'd like to see Frozone in action doing more things. Edna Mode now has the people she wants to be working for. Yeah. How do we see Edna Mode progress? And how do we see her capitalize on the new embracing of superheroes that quickly? So it'll be interesting to see... Uh, where all these characters go now that society accepts them. Mm. Yeah. Totally. I, for me, I um I don't I don't really have any clue where it's gonna go. And I can't say this is one of my this is one of my favorite Pixar films. I can't say that I've resonated with the trailers. The trailers are a little bit about Mr. Incredible seeming to struggle with his changing identity or morphing identity as a stay-at-home dad is what they've they've kind of pitched it as. I don't have kids, so I don't encounter that scenario at all. So I'm actually kind of happy because right now I know Pixar, Pixar is, I don't think Pixar has ever really let me down with a film yet. Cars 2? I haven't seen Cars 2. <laughs> <laughs> you won't um, let it let you down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I refuse to be let down. Um, 
but because of that, I kind of, I kind of like it because I go like, oh, I'm, I don't know what it's going to be yet. And I'm kind of happy yeah. in that, in that zone of like thinking like, I, I'm thinking like, I'm not going to resonate with it. And that's better because now my expectations are really low for it. Mm. Yeah. So I kind of like that. Yeah. I mean, I think my perspective is completely different because I'm a parent mm. in the, I think, and I think about the movie way more in terms of that in the superhero realm, Angie, I'm kind of like you, I don't know where they're going to go. I don't know who the big villain's going to be. I don't know what their journey as heroes is going to be. And I hope they don't give us a trailer that makes that clear because mm-hmm. I don't want to know. I want to be surprised by that. But I love the trailers that they've done so far because they have focused on family. Mm. And so the things that I'm excited to see are you talked about he's a stay-at-home dad. That resonates with me because I've done that. I still do that half of my time. Yeah. And so I'm excited to see that represented in a superhero film, I'm excited to, I'm hoping to see a good representation of, of a father, you know? There's so many deadbeat dads in storytelling, mm. you know? Like anybody that Harrison Ford has played <laughs> and so on and so <laughs> forth. But, but I want to see a good version of that. And the other thing I'm excited to see is now that they've learned a little bit more how to embrace the identity of Dash and Violet, and kind of how to function as a family unit, how is that going to affect Jack-Jack? Hmm. And that's really relevant to me right now because I'm sitting here with a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and I, I make all these mistakes with my five-year-old and like all these things I wish I was better at, and then that can, I can turn around and that can inform how I treat the two-year-old. And so sure. it's super relevant mm-hmm. to me from a mm-hmm. family perspective. Mm-hmm. So That's cool. I actually yeah. wonder if one of the kids in this second movie is going to be tempted by the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be kind of cool. That'd be awesome. That's sort of the sequel way to go, right? Yeah. Like one of the heroes has to falter in some way. So Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know. But I think it's going to be great. I'm excited for it. So that's it, guys. That's all the questions that I had. So was there anything else that's been burning in your brain that you want to throw out? No, I think I have exhausted my brain. <laughs> <laughs> that's a common that's a common response to our show. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of what we do to people. Yeah. Well, this has been really fun. It's been a great discussion. Thank you, Josh and Angie, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having us on. This yeah, is great. Absolutely. Uh, remind us one more time, guys, where you can be found, how people can find your show and your products. Yeah, all of our uh, products for our shop, which we're kind of designing a bunch of new stuff. So uh, we've got trucker caps and mouse ears right now. We're going to bring in some bow ties, some jewelry, some other kind of Mm -hmm. accessory pieces uh, pretty soon. So you'll want to check that out at modernmouseboutique.com. We're also debuting our new products at this coming Dapper Day at at Disneyland, Disneyland, uh, April 21st and 22nd. Yes. So if you want to come and buy something in person, we're actually going to be on the expo floor. At Disneyland. Mm-hmm. At the Disneyland Hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then network1901.com is where you can find three podcasts a week and three videos that are mainly about Disney, but also about kind of geek culture in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, we explore all kinds of fun, deep discussions mm-hmm. there as well. Yeah. And plus we do a live show on Saturdays now, too. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you guys are always there chatting with us too. So 
It's fun. They can man. come chat with you yeah, guys. Yeah, when I don't sleep in. Oh, <laughs> 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 yeah. One thing I want to just mention too, like for those of you who don't know what Dapper Day is, it is one of the coolest things, beca- one of the coolest days at Disneyland, I think, mm. because everybody dresses up like they're in the, I say 1910s to 1940s, 50s, 60s. Sure. Like, it's like throwback day. It's unofficial day, but everybody looks super cool mm-hmm. and very dapper. <laughs> like that's why it's called that. So um, I... I Definitely participate. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm gonna. I think Jessica and I are gonna participate for the first time this year because we always see everybody and we're always like super jealous. Yeah, we're always like yeah. they look awesome. <laughs> what am I wearing? You know, I'll probably enjoy it from afar. I just don't think there's anything dapper about me. But <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Maybe you could be the Maybe. most dapper one in the room. Ugh. You know what I see a lot of now, which is great. Uh, a lot of guys wearing the kind of like bowling. Bowling shirts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, some nice, like, khakis or whatever. So I feel like that's your your style. Could your be. Your dapper style. Relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. This is a segue because did you see the the photo that Jeff Goldblum posted today on his Instagram? <laughs> no. He he posted uh, the, shoe, the bowling shoe type style that you're talking about. There's a name for those kind of shoes. The white and black. The saddle. Saddle yes, shoes. Like that, that kind. And he had two different pairs on. He's like, which one should I wear today? <sighs> <laughs> Josh, you should have worn your saddle shoes today. Should have. If you seen the picture. And I say that because Josh and, Josh and I are doing a show for, for Network 1901. Yeah. He invited me to be a part of it. It's uh, Gold Blooming. <laughs> and the most popular thing on Gold Blooming is what would Jeff Goldblum do? So you can submit your what would Jeff Goldblum do like <laughs> things to Josh and, and or Angie and she can give it and to Josh. And we're doing kind of some like after shows for... Story Geeks, we've got uh, right. a couple coming up. So if the movie fits the, you know, geeky type of genre, we're going to be talking about it for Story Geeks, too. Yeah, exactly. we're very inspired by each other here at uh, Story Geeks and Network 1901. Where <laughs> so we're true. constantly bouncing stuff off each totally. other. That's right. And we keep copying stuff from their live show onto our live show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they got an easel. Oh, they got an easel with that. the Come board. On. Yeah, oh. we should do that, too. <laughs> Call us out, man. Jeez. Yeah. You know what, though? You did it, like, the best way you could do it. Like, this was the perfect use for it. That's true. That's true. We learn. We learn from the best. <laughs> we do. We do. Well, hey, guys, listening, um, just be sure and go out and subscribe to everything Network 1901 has going on. Subscribe to us on the Story Geeks as well, please. Yeah, and leave us a comment or send us an email at thestorygeeks at gmail.com. Also, we love iTunes reviews, and we often read iTunes reviews on the show. We're not going to do it tonight, but from time to time, we do read iTunes reviews, so definitely leave us an iTunes review. That'd be awesome. Five stars is, like, the best. (laughs) Someone gave us a one-star review for the first time. (gasps) I was like, what in the world did I say? I know what I said. It's guaranteed (laughs) it's something I said. I'm like, all right. Yeah, I never piss people off. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But if you enjoyed today's show, if you've enjoyed anything that we've done, please go out and share it. Tell your friends about it. It's been fun to see our community grow. We've added some new people to our Facebook group this week. We've gotten a couple new pa- uh, a couple new patrons on Patreon lately. So, And speaking of Patreon, that's another way that you can support us. Um, just a small financial commitment every month. You get exclusive content that nobody else hears. And uh, it really does go a long way towards helping us do what we do. So you can head over to thestorygeeks.com to do that. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth.